Welcome, men of Watermark Plano. It is good to get to be with you this morning in a little bit of a different fashion. I love, though, that um, with all of the uh, restrictions that are going around in our society right now, that we are still doing what it takes to gather in small circles. It was just a week ago that we were all gathered in the large auditorium with the chance to hear from Kyle, uh, just to be spurred on face to face. And today it looks different. Um, and just as a great reminder of, man, what a difference a week can make. But I love that you're doing what it takes to just figure out how to stay connected to the body. That's a really important thing. Uh, we're going to continue to do uh, what we set out to do three weeks ago, which is we are going to investigate the, the letters to the seven churches that we find in Revelation. We're not going to stop with that. Uh, but one of the things that as kind of things keep happening here, uh, we're going to keep adjusting the letters in light of what's happening. We said last the last couple weeks that, hey, with the announcement of Watermark spinning off, launching as its own independent church, remember that, by the way, that's still going to happen. Uh, we're going to talk about these letters in light of that. And uh, with COVID-19 and the coronavirus as it's beginning to hit our society, we're going to look at... Um, Pergamum this morning and then other churches later just through that lens of what does that how are we supposed to respond as men first Corinthians 16 verse 13 says be watchful stand firm in the faith act like men and be strong now let all that we do uh, be done in love this is our time men to really step up um, and so this is why I love so much that there's a lot of things we could be doing with our time sleeping in, uh, but we are trying to find ways to engage with one another. And so that's awesome. Uh, so we are in uh, Revelation 2, verse 12 and 7 through 17 this morning, looking at the church of Pergamum. And we're going to, again, continue to go through uh, what we've been doing, which is we're going to see Christ in the passage. We're going to see the commendation in the passage. We're going to see the correction as well as the confidence that we land in uh, all through the lens of coronavirus, through we're launching as a Plano campus, uh, and just who are we supposed to be? I know there's some people that don't go to Watermark Plano. We're still going to talk about, hey, this is what the church needs to look like during this time. And so let's jump in. As we're um, jumping in, just a little bit of a backdrop on what uh, Pergamum or where Pergamum is. Pergamum's not mentioned anywhere in Scripture except for Revelation. Pergamum is, uh, is a church or is a city that is 100 miles north of Ephesus. Uh, Smyrna is right in the middle. That's where we were last week was Smyrna. Uh, and Pergamum, uh, we don't know for sure, but there's a pretty good case that uh, uh, Pergamum, the church, was planted uh, around Acts 19, Acts 20, when Paul was on his uh, missionary journey to Ephesus. That's when we think uh, Pergamum was born, or that's the seeds from where Pergamum was born. And it was a very interesting city. It was a very illustrious city. It had one of the greatest libraries, maybe second only to Alexandria. It was a very impressive city. But within that city, um, there was also a ton of um, worships of other gods. The Greek Greco-Roman gods of Dionysus and Zeus and others were all celebrated there. And maybe even more than that, the emperor was worshipped in Pergamum. Uh, where Rome was celebrated. It started with Caesar Augustus before even uh, Christ was born, and it was still continuing on through the day. And these were just some of the unique challenges that Pergamum was facing. It had all of this culture around them that was saying, no, worship, don't worship the God of the heavens, don't worship Christ, worship all these other things. And this was the backdrop of what Pergamum was trying to be, um, the church specifically in Pergamum was trying to fight against. 
And so let's jump in. Verse 12, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. This is a clear reference to Christ. This is um, where we see later in Revelation, if you turn uh, just a little bit further, Revelation 19.15, it says, from his mouth. This is that whole passage of he's going to come in on a horse. His name's faithful and true. He's going to have things tattooed on his legs. This is Jesus as the conqueror right here. And it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that it may strike down the nations. Christ does be, let's be clear, he will come to judge the living and the dead. He will come to judge the nations. And this church here in Pergamum, this is the first kind of negative intro to one of the churches, this reminder of, hey, Christ does come with a sword that will come to pierce the bone and the marrow and divide um, the followers from those that don't follow him. And so it's a really good reminder of this is Jesus. He is somebody who comes to judge. And we must not forget that. And he's, and he's putting that warning in front of the Pergamum church. You go on in verse 13, uh, and we've seen kind of this language in all the other churches thus far. It just says, and I know where you dwell. This is the other side, I think, of the two-edged sword. The first side is, hey, there is a side of the sword that brings judgment. And then there is also a side that brings mercy. God knows where you dwell. He knows the circumstances of your entire life. And uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this in Mere Christianity. He calls your circumstances, the, the talents you've been given, all of this he just refers to as your raw materials. It says this, this is why, for Mere Christianity, this is why Christians are told not to judge. We see only the results which a man chooses uh, or which a man choices make out of his raw material. But God does not judge him on the raw material at all, but only what he has done with it. And so God knows everything that has been given to us. God knows that some of us, um, have our lives have not been stewarded well by our parents. Uh, we haven't been given some of the blessings that others have been given, and he's well aware of that, and he's well acquainted with that. And your faith may look different than other people's, but it can still be just as beautiful to, to the Lord and how you've worked through some of the struggles that you've had to uniquely face. And then there's some of us, who we've had loving parents. We've had this incredible just heritage of faith. And it's this important reminder, right, that to whom much is given, much is expected. God knows all of these things about us. And there's a merciful side in all of this. He knows right now what we're up against in a society. He's well aware of um, how shepherding and uh, discipling people is going to look a lot harder right now in the face of coronavirus with a lot of, uh, we can't meet as a church on Sunday morning. And so he's well aware that it's going to look different. But we still have an opportunity to stand firm, be watchful, act like men. Our raw materials look a little different today. Um, and God knows that but we have a chance to be faithful. I also think as a, as, a, as a church that is about to launch as its own independent campus, we need to be mindful that not many churches launch with uh, their own building, no debt, 30 staff members, 1,000 plus members that are on mission to whom much is given, much is, ex is expected. That's our call as a body, as men. We've got to continue to step up. There's a lot here we need to steward, and God knows it all. Verse 13 is, talks about as we get to the com commendation, which I have trouble saying that word, but commendation uh, of 
Uh, he goes, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith. And it's just this great picture of, he is saying, look, I see all that's happening in Pergamum, church. I know what you're up against. I know that the emperor is telling you to bow to me um, and don't worry about your God. And yet the Pergamum church is saying, no, we will hold fast. I love, one of the things I've been guilty of in the last um, week or so is with all the virus hitting uh, our land in particular, and just this this idea of quarantining yourself. I've made I've been guilty of the statement, um, man. I, let me just run to a beach and let me just go spend two or three months there and wait till this thing passes. Or can we just turn the calendar to 2021 and move on? And I'm reminded, no, this is my day to hold fast. This is my day to hold fast to to my Lord and to be an example for him. I I shouldn't wish this year away. No, this year has produced some unique challenges where I get to act like a man in ways that maybe I haven't been. Uh, And so this is a great time to hold fast, not deny the faith, not to kind of put it in the corner for the next couple of months, but to be on mission entirely. It says, even in the days of Antipas, my, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I think all of this, right, they're holding fast where there's, there's a lot of things that, this, that, that Satan's throne could imply. And we're not going to unpack that right now. But it is this real picture that it, you get the sense that Pergamum was like on the doorsteps of the enemy. It says in Matthew 16, 18, that um, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be over to overpower it. And I'm like, this is what the faithful men and women of Pergamum were doing is, is, is the enemy was trying to close in and, 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 and Pergamum, the church was like, no, in fact, we're going to push out against it. And that's what the opportunity that we have right now, which is to push out against it. I love that uh, with this idea of, of our campus launching as our own church, uh, there's there's a couple of things, right? We're all in different headspaces as we're just trying to process what it means, or you may be just going, what does it mean to be the church where I'm at? Uh, just, I, I, I always, I, I've thought of two things that I just think are helpful for people. One is there's a something to do and there's something to be. The first to do is uh, anything that you're processing through about your church or this church here is run with it to the Lord. If you're struggling with the, the Plano launch and what that might look like, run to the Lord with that. Go to his word and be spurred on by what he has to say. Take your fears and concerns and put it before him. Um. Or if you're excited about it, it's like, what do I do with all this emotion? That I'm like, how do I, how do I do? take it to him and let him begin to go, build into you um, how he wants to use you in the days ahead? The the other thing that I just keep being uh, encouraged by, regardless of what bucket you're in, whether you've got concerns or you're nervous or you're, you're going to miss being connected to Watermark Dallas, I just would tell you that be really encouraged that there are a group of 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 leaders that we have gladly submitted to for years here that look at what's happening in Plano and go, whoa, that's the church that's holding fast to the name of Christ. And they, in, in, in a way that almost grieves us, we think they'll be, they'll be able to hold fast all the more if they're their own independent church. Be encouraged that there are a group of God-fearing men that aren't kicking us out the door, but they are seeing us and going, wait, that's already the church that is alive and active in Watermark Plano. Let's let them go be it all the more. So be encouraged from that. I love that, man, we just, there's so much that we can do. 
uh, it says Antipas, my faithful witness. By the way, that phrase, my faithful witness, that's a phrase that's attributed to Christ on either side of these chapters. Revelation 1, Revelation 3, Jesus is called the faithful witness. For that to be said of, of Antipas, oh man, I would long for that day for that to be said of me. We have an opportunity to almost get a new name, get a new version of ourselves, kind of going, hey, I want to be the faithful witness. It says Antipas uh, in church tradition. We don't see his name anywhere else in scripture, but church tradition holds that he wouldn't bow to the emperor. He wouldn't bow to culture. He wouldn't let culture creep into his life. No, he was going to keep pressing against it. Uh, so much so that the emperor at the time, um, who was uh, Domitian, said, if you won't bow to me, then I'm going to put you in a brass bowl and I'm going to heat that bowl up and you're going to burn to death that way. And, and Antipas says, so be it. I'm not going to let culture come this direction. I'll be martyred for my faith if that's what it takes. See last week's message with kegs on what that might look like. Uh, but there was a man that was faithful. And because of that, there were others that were also holding fast to the name. And so that's to be commended. And I want to look at you guys and go, man, way to go. Men of Watermark who have just consistently poured into the vision here. Uh, we're where we are today as a church because of your faithfulness. And so press on still. Keep holding fast to his name. We should be encouraged. And especially in these days of the coronavirus, go be like uh, just one real quick story. Uh, my father-in-law um, has dropped notes in all of his neighbor's mailbox with his contact number saying, I'm ready to help. I'll come fix something that needs to be fixed. If you need financial help, we may, we may be able to meet your need. We're not sure. But here's my name. Here's my number. I'm here. I follow Christ, and I want to help share his love with you. That's how you can be on mission, maybe in your own neighborhood uh, in the weeks and months ahead. And then Christ says this, but I do have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. There's, this is a, a, a reference to uh, the story that we read in Nove uh, Numbers 22 through Numbers 25 of this king of, of uh, Moab who had watched what the Lord was doing with Israel as they were just making their way, conquering other nations in the promised land. And this king was starting to get nervous. And so he found a false prophet named Balaam that was just going, hey, Balaam, can you help? Can you call down a curse from God on these people so that, that we'll be saved and maybe we can be victorious and that it will prove that our gods are stronger than Jehovah? And Balaam, who was very interested in the money, um, entreated God to a sort. And God says, you will not curse my people. And as much as Balaam wanted to do it, and he tried to figure out multiple ways in which he could call down a curse, he just went back to the king and said, I can't do it. And yet they continued to scheme and tried to figure out, well, what can we do? And uh, Balaam wasn't able to curse Israel, but he was able to corrupt them. It says in 1 Peter 5.8 that uh, we do have an enemy, and he comes as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour us. And so it's got this image of, oh my gosh, he's coming big, he's bold, and he's, it's obvious. But this roaring lion's favorite way to get us is to come as a sneaky, slithering serpent, see Genesis 3, and to just put things before our eyes, put whispers in our ears that we might slowly give in to the culture that's around us. This is how the enemy wants to corrupt you. This is the corruption of how Balaam got Israel taken out. He goes, hey, here's what we're going to do. Let's take some Moabite women. Let's put them in there. 
Let's let's bring some of the idol worship. This is a this is a nation that struggles with idolatry. So let's put your idols in front of them. And sure enough, in Numbers 25, we see that the culture creeped into Israel. They gave themselves over to sexual immorality, gave themselves over to idolatry, and it was costly because compromise is always costly. 24,000 men of Israel died because of that compromise because when we permit the culture to have its way with us, it will produce death. It always does. And it's something that uh, we have got to be on guard against. Large church, this is the church in America is compromising sexually all over the place. We're, we refuse to call sin, sin now. Things that have been clear in scripture, things that the church has held to for centuries, we now look at and go, hey, that, we're not going to call that sin anymore. We're watching that happen with the with uh, the, the the Methodist Church. They've split because one faction of that church wants to say, "Hey, homosexuality isn't a sin. It's okay." And look, if that's a sin that you're struggling with, I want you to know, hey, stand firm, be strong. It's okay. We're all struggling with different things. That doesn't mean you still can't be a faithful witness, but don't give in to it, like much of the church is. Don't give in. It's something that I've just seen with it, with our body here at Plano. I just I've seen us slowly begin to give in. When we started this campus almost uh, six years ago, uh, we just were on mission. We felt like the Church of God needed to be more um, uniquely present in Collin County, in Plano, and in North Richardson and, and than it had been. And so we set out and we, we all sacrificed much to make, uh, make a body of people kind of um, give a place to come to and then also just give a place for us to invite our neighbors and all of these things to that was a little bit closer to where we were. And that was the call that we just said. We were saying, hey, come, come to this church up in Plano and you can be discipled and you can be shepherded. And then over time, six months later, a year later, two years later, this little phrase entered our vernacular of, man, come to Watermark Plano. It's like Watermark Dallas, but we don't have parking problems. And that just isn't the church. And I'm going to be honest. I used that phrase early on. I just was like, oh, this is awesome. It's, it's like Watermark Dallas, but we don't have parking. And I'm like, that's not a church. That's a building. That's a place you go to, but that's not the church. This is what you should always do, whether what if you go here, if you go to a different church, it should always be come to my church because you're going to get discipled, you're going to get shepherded, you're going to get um, shared the truth. If you don't know the gospel, come, we're going to share the gospel with you. That's what the church, that's what a church should be known for. Somewhere along the way, I'm going to be honest, Watermark Plano, we have something against ourselves, which is we've lost our evangel uh, evangelistic zeal. We've stopped telling people about the hope of Christ and we've told them about our parking lot. I'll be honest with you, over the last six months, I've prayed that we'd have parking problems here. <laughs> I just am like, man, maybe that will disciple our body to remind ourselves what the church is really supposed to be, that there's that if the different hindrances that face us, that, that, uh, that it shouldn't prevent us from being the church. And as I was kind of walking through the parking lot the last couple days, just kind of even mulling over this message, I realized, oh my gosh, we have a parking problem right now. As in, you're not allowed to park here at our building and come inside. And I just was like, oh my gosh, this is our time to be the church and to remind ourselves and to shave off some of this complacency that's entered ourselves. 
is to remind ourselves, oh, this is our chance. We now have to shepherd people and disciple people in ways that we haven't. Hence, we're in an iPad studio. This message was not supposed to be done that way. We've got people that aren't necessarily editors that are gonna take this video and edit it in a way that you can watch it right now because we're trying to figure out how to disciple. You guys are gonna, after this, gather on um, Zoom or some other FaceTime application because we've gotta figure out new, unique ways to disciple and shepherd one another. That's us being the church. Whatever culture, cultural um, restrictions we face, we figure out how to be the church inside of that. What an awesome opportunity that's before us right now. As a church, we can't tolerate complacency. 1 Corinthians 5, it says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So you've got to cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are to be unleavened. All of this complacency, all of this culture, um, Paul talks or, um, so Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2, it spreads like gangrene, just like it spread uh, throughout Israel and it cost the lives of 24,000 people. Lives are at stake with how we respond both in the coronavirus times, this isn't a time to check out, this is a time to engage like we never have. Someone was checking in with me recently and said, uh, are you, what are you doing with your time? You've, you've got to be just not busy. I'm like, no. Yesterday, I was on the phone with my region leaders, checking in with them, going, hey, how are your groups doing? Have you checked in with those guys? I spent, I, I, I was engaging with, is there a way I can help you? Is there a need I can meet with you? And it, I looked up and it took me three hours to talk to all of my leaders. And I was like, oh my gosh prayed with them at the end of it. I'm like, I think we're, I think I'm maybe discipling and shepherding my leaders in a way that I haven't been. And I probably should have been these last few years. And I'm like, no, this is my chance to step up and fight against some of the things that are cre creeping in. It was some of the complacency that's creeped into my heart. And so Watermark, man, be on mission. People that are listening to this that maybe don't attend here, go be on mission in your church in a ways that maybe you haven't been. This whole virus is, isn't it a great visual? of how things spread. Now, this isn't sin that's spreading right now, but it is a great picture of, man, you get around something that's effect, infected, and if you don't push against it, if you don't, uh, if you don't put boundaries around it, then it's going to infect a whole nation and a whole world. And so we've got to treat sin like that. We've got to treat complacency against it. We have to fight against it. We have to be smart about how we battle against it. It's such a great visual right now says, uh, going on, it says, you also hold to some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. It's the same thing. They believe that you could be Christ followers and yet engage in um, just gross sexual immorality. There's no place for that for Christ followers. You can't be both. Don't you know, it says in James that uh, enmity against uh, God is enmity against the world. And then it says earlier in James that the way to be pure and clean. The way is to keep your life unstained, undefiled. And so we don't make compromise with that. In fact, what we have to do is we repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to just tell you a little warning right now. A lot of us are going to have a lot of extra time at home. We're going to have a lot of extra time with the screen. We're going to have a lot of extra time um, to let our brains wander if we're not careful. You're going to have to fight against sexual immorality in a way that maybe you haven't had to in the last couple of years. And some of you are so knee-deep in it right now already. You really are in danger of giving your hearts over to it. You've got to confess it. You've got to repent right now. Danger is near. The lion is coming to devour. With all this extra time we're going to have at home and in front of screens, be on guard against sexual immorality. That's what was creeping up. That's what was a, a threat to the church in Pergamum, and it is a threat to the church here 
in America. It's a threat to the church here in Plano, and so repent. And then just like all the other letters, it ends with the confidence. Oh, but he who has an ear. I just always love to kind of read emotion into the scriptures sometimes to just hear just some of the passion. It's like, oh, here, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I love this. I, I, I just, I mean, there's so many things in my life over the last five years as I've kind of come out of my gross sin and I've kind of pushed back against some of this stuff um, that uh, I still struggle with. I'm still so prone to compromise. My, ho- my heart is still prone to lust. My heart is still prone to run after different things that my flesh desires. Um, and, and my wife knows this well. I've struggled with envy uh, and, 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 and being just jealous of other opportunities people have gotten. Kegler and some of the campus shepherds here know that really well. And one of the things that I think they've been encouraged by, and I've been encouraged as seeing growth in me, is that I just, a lot of times I'm like, what I think needs to happen is I just need to go home. I need to sleep and I need to wake up and get in the word of God and let my, my Romans 12, my mind be renewed each morning. I need to go taste the heavenly manna. That's Exodus 16. It was this, this honey-flavored bread, and it's this picture of remind yourself, Jesus is the bread of life. Run back to his words. Run back to his words every morning and get your nourishment there. That's how you overcome is you renew your mind and, you, and, and you, you, you're mindful. Of what happens, I love what you know. Josh talked about this a couple weeks ago. Just that whole Nike, it, it, it's it's it, that the whole Nike. I'm wearing my Nike shoes this morning to remind myself I can be someone that overcomes. Christ has overcome this world, and I need to run back to Him, the source of 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 that overcoming. This little whole picture of the the white stone. There's a lot of different ideas about it. I love all of them. Uh, White stones were what the Romans awarded to um, victors of athletic accomplishments, kind of the Olympics of the day. If you won it, you were given a white stone. Paul talks about, man, you run in such a way that you win the prize. Run in such a way that you overcome, you get the white stone. The white stone was used in the courtroom as uh, a favorable verdict that if you were to be acquitted, someone would raise a white stone. The jury would raise white stones in effect. One day, right, though the accuser, the enemy, where Satan dwells, he'll be wanting to accuse you, I guess, with a black stone. Christ, if you know him, he'll raise a white stone and go, I know this one. And he's dressed in my righteousness. The white stone, I read in other places, was uh, what sometimes would be kind of your ticket, your entry fee in order to get to the feast. Is you'd hand a white stone in and then you'd be allowed into the feast. It makes me think of the feast of the Lamb, the feast that Christ is going to give us when we have officially overcome this world and there's no more coronavirus, there's no more this, there's no more that. Well, Christ will be our ticket in and we'll be like this picture of the white stone. And on it, with the new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it, there's a lot of, there's a couple ways to read that. There may be a way to go, hey, you, Christ follower, 
you may, as you, when you get to heaven, realize, oh my gosh, there's there's all these names for Jesus that are all these names for God that we see in the Old Testament. Well, there's some people that think, hey, the name that's written on the stone is going to be another name of God that's going to be unique to you in the sense of how he loved you uniquely through all of your raw materials. He's going to see that uh, there was a name that you're going to recognize and go, oh yeah, that's God. And you'll probably tell other people, look, here's another name of God. The other way that you can read this text is that um, you're going to be given a new name. We see this all throughout Scripture, right? Abram got a new name. He became Abraham. Sarai got a new name. She became Sarah. Jacob got a new name because he was a deceiver. No, God says, no, you are no longer going to be a deceiver. You're going to be a prevailer. And because of that, I'm giving you a new name. I'm going to give you the name Israel. Simon was given a name Peter. And it's interesting. I would encourage you to go look. There's instances in God's word where you see times where um, Jesus calls him Simon, even though he has this new name. It's because Simon is acting like this fleshly form. He's still giving in to his fears. Simon kept sitting on the boat. It was Peter that walked on the water. Simon was the one that, that uh, out of his flesh got scared and denied Christ in front of the servant girl. It was Peter that stood before uh, the authorities in Acts 3, 4, and 5 and said, no, I'm not going to deny my Christ any longer. That was Peter acting as God always intended him to act. It was Peter, it was Simon that uh, fell asleep when Jesus said, I want you praying for me. And it's Peter that in Acts we read praying for the church, looking to plant the church, being somebody that God could plant the church upon. And so look, men, in my fear, I want to be the old Jeff of five years plus that just runs towards things during this time of as I look around and go, oh my gosh, we're going to plant a church here in Plano. We're going to, we're going to have to fight against this virus in a unique way. My whole flesh wants to creep in. And then I'm reminded, no, I've been given a new name. I don't personally know my new name yet, but I know I've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And I know that if I will to eat the bread... If I will feed on the word of God, my mind can be renewed in such a way that I don't operate how I operated for the first 37 years of my life. I can keep operating like I have for the last five years of my life, which is hopefully someone who is watchful, standing firm in the faith, acting like a man in face of difficulties. And that's what's before us. And so go act like men. Go be more of Peter and less of Simon. Go be more of Israel that prevails, less of Jacob. Who deceives during this time. Go get you a new name. Go get your white stones and go be the kind of person in your neighborhood, in your workplace that just says, uh, this is who I am. This is what I stand on and I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I, I want to shepherd you. I want to point you to Jesus. That's what men of God do during this time. We're praying for you. God bless you for circling up in a unique way this morning. I pray that the technology somehow fades away and that you get to enjoy spending time with uh, each other in a unique way and just use it as a picture of going we can disciple we shepherd people in a variety of ways and we don't have to be face to face on a Sunday morning in order to do it we don't even have to be face to face on a Thursday morning in, to, in order to do it and figure out how to do this in unique ways use this time as an opportunity to remind yourself this look can look like a thousand different ways and so we're praying for you, men of Watermark, men of other churches that are able to listen to this this morning. Let's thank God for the technology. Use it in a blessing, not in an evil way. And we love you. Let me pray for us, and then uh, 
enjoy the rest of your morning. Lord, thank you that uh, you are a God that we can stand upon even when culture begins to creep, even when viruses come, that we can stand firm and be men. Lord, will you help us be just that? Our, our flesh wants to sleep longer during this time. Our flesh wants to indulge itself in the days ahead. Will you help us to be as on mission as ever during this time? Lord, will you help us to live with the end in mind? Will you help us to run back to your word to remind ourselves this is how we overcome? And will you just continue to remind us that all these troubles that we face right now, you've already overcome them. That if we would just cling to you, one day we'll taste that firsthand ourselves. Will you help us to live in a manner worthy until that day? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.